Long after the final rose, for better or worse, Rachel Lindsay is still the Black Bachelorette. This is the National Podcast of Texas, a production of Texas Monthly, the national magazine. Welcome to the National Podcast of Texas. I'm Andy Langer. The first time we attempted to speak with Rachel Lindsay, the Dallas veteran of ABC's The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, she needed to reschedule to take a deposition. She's still very much a practicing lawyer. Then the first African-American bachelorette in the franchise's history needed to reschedule again because she'd just been named a new co-host of ESPN Radio's Football Frenzy. To hear her tell it, Life After Reality TV is both business as usual and a wild ride full of open doors just waiting to be kicked in. Lindsay was born in Dallas. Her father's a federal judge. She got her undergraduate degree at the University of Texas at Austin, then earned her law degree from Marquette University in Milwaukee. She was working at Dallas's Cooper and Scully when a pair of co-workers suggested she apply for The Bachelor. She did, and she placed third overall on the 21st season. The rest of the story, that's reality TV history. Friday morning, we talked about not just the demands and expectations of being the first black bachelorette, but also about how the show handled the race card in general, both in her season and in the following season, where it was revealed the contestant who the bachelorette chose to be engaged to had previously liked a series of offensive racially charged posts on Instagram. Plus, we got her take on taking a knee and the uproar over Serena Williams. This is Rachel Lindsay. Welcome. So let's start at the end of the story. Is the struggle now not letting the bachelorette define you, but also taking the opportunities, the doors that it opened up? Absolutely. Um, I think there's this huge misconception that, oh, my gosh, you are on TV. You are the bachelorette. You can do whatever you want. And that hasn't been the case. I mean, I'm just now feel like I'm starting to come into my own. Um, you know, it's it's really been a struggle trying to tear down the misconception or the perception, I should say, that people have of me and just seeing me as the bachelorette. And it's such a fine line of not biting the hand that, that feeds you with the bachelorette and being grateful for everything that you have and then finding your own way and finding your own voice and pursuing the things that you want to do outside of being the bachelorette. It's definitely been a struggle. On the one hand, there's a lot of eyeballs on reality television. On the other hand, these generally aren't people we take seriously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think, and, and I feel like people definitely haven't taken me seriously because I see it when they forget that I'm an attorney. They just see me as the bachelorette because, and and I can't really blame them because I spent almost a year of my life on TV and I spent it in a reality TV show where it's about finding love, where I was either going after a man or 31 men were coming after me. And that's how they saw me. That's how the public was introduced to me. So I get why they don't, take me seriously or see me as a lawyer or even take serious some of the other things that I want to do. So I've really spent some time trying to reintroduce myself to the world. It's also a medium that's based on caricatures and big gestures and a lot of editing. Yeah. 
So they're yeah. not really seeing you anyway. I well, I will honestly say that for the most part, you saw me, and I, I don't regret anything that I did on the show because I put myself, all of myself, into it, and I was myself. And I do feel like you saw me be vulnerable, which is a side that people don't get to see. You saw me stand up for myself, which is always me. And you saw me not take anything. And, I, and, and, and I'm happy that you saw that part. What I wasn't happy with is how Brian was defined and the editing that went around that. But I do feel like, you know, I, I do have a big personality. I am animated. I can be dramatic. And those things came out as well. And, yeah, like, I, to your point, you are a caricature of yourself in some ways. But I was pretty pleased at the way that, that I was shown. The whole setup, and I think it was the New York Times who said it, it's based on an artificial demand of the show itself, that all of the drama stems from this, art, this conceit, this artificial demand. That's accurate, right? The, um, when you say artificial demand, what did they mean when they said that? Well, I think the artificial demand is the sped up, artificial romantic timeline for sure it's everything is there's a lot of yeah everything is heightened everything is rushed um yeah i mean you definitely don't wouldn't do things in real life the way that you do them in that timeline and i always define it as the bachelor bubble you know you there's reality and then there's this bachelor bubble that you live in where producers are your family members and on the bachelor there's only one guy in your entire world and you know the, the the people that you're living in the house with are your only friends and and as i said the producers are your family members yeah i mean there's there's definitely this fictitious world that's created um that you wouldn't have in real life you know it's a world that ends in 10 weeks if you make it that long or earlier for most for most people does it only work if you surrender mentally to being inside that bubble i mean at what point in the process does that just become okay i'm here this is what we're doing and it only works if i roll with this i love that question because that's so true it only works if you let yourself go um i had friends who were bringing i couldn't couldn't i don't want to say play the game but but that kind of is what it is, that couldn't get out of their own heads, that were questioning every single thing and just didn't surrender themselves to that world. Absolutely. And it's not necessarily losing yourself, but just realizing it is what it is. Listen, there's somebody here. I'm going to pursue them. I'm going to see if they like me. I'm going to let myself go and be open to liking them as well. It's more so surrendering to that. And I think that, but you can't lose yourself in the process. And I saw a lot of women and men, since I did both, lose themselves, forget who they were. And I, that's, that's how you, since I'm using the whole game thing, that's how you win. Because if you don't win the, the, the person in the end, you can at least find out more about yourself and what it is that you want for yourself in real life. Because that's what happened to me on The Bachelor. I walked away. I did not get with Nick. You know, he didn't choose me. But I learned so much more about myself 
and in what I wanted for me when it comes to a relationship and for love. The cynic would say that even though viewers are invested in this, they they laugh, they cry, they they feel like they know these people, that the whole conceit of the show that you can find love in this shortened period of time, it, it, I'm not sure they fully buy that, though. Is that the thing they ask you the most? Like, how can you fall in love with somebody so quickly? Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I ask myself that, and I always joke, and I say, if my kids, if, if this show or a show like this was on, and my children wanted to do it, I would say, no, don't do it. I'm still skeptical about it. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm in this, I can be a cynical person. I, I, it's still shocking to me that I found the, the love of my life on TV. I still don't believe it. Sometimes I, I feel like I'm going to wake up and none of this happened. <laughs> it was all going to be like a figment of my imagination. Seriously, it, it's crazy to think that it's almost been a year and a half and Brian and I are still together. Like, I, I, I get it when people question it. I don't get offended by it. I get it. And, and honestly, that's why I get upset when most recently what came out, you, you just finished Bachelor, or not, I wasn't on it, but they just finished filming Bachelor in Paradise and a couple got engaged. And the day after they announced it to the world, there, is, there are text messages released from the girl saying where she was texting another guy saying that it was just a business. She was just doing it, you know, to get to boost her social media presence and she didn't really care about this guy. She it's not going to work. It was a business relationship. And I hated hearing that because that diminishes what Brian and I have and that causes me to constantly defend what we have because of people like that. Which is an awfully long con. I mean, even if it's in a short, <laughs> short period of time, I mean, who does that? Yeah, they set a wedding date. They said they asked Chris Harrison to officiate it. You know, and it's like, I get that for some people might be there, you know, for interior motives and things or not for the right reasons, as you say on the show. But that is just your con artist, which is way too far. Takes it too far. Did they handle race by avoiding it with you? I No, I definitely think that race was brought up in ways that I wasn't okay with at certain times without realizing it was happening. It was more when I watched it back because a big misconception is that I know what's happening in the mansion with the men, and that's not the case. They truly keep me separate from what their drama is. And the only way that I know about it is if one of the guys comes and talks to me about it. When I really didn't have to talk about being the first black bachelorette while I was filming the show, maybe in the, the very beginning during my introduction, but not as I was on my journey for love. But then watching it back and seeing the Lee and Kenny situation and how he was baiting people. And there was this undertone of this, this racial divide. But when it came to Lee and the other black men in the house, I was upset with watching that. I was upset how it was handled. And I was upset that that became truly half my, my season was this fight between Lee and the other black men in the house. And I did not like that. That was the focus. 
on the one hand, it's crazy that that's an issue in 2017 when you're doing this. On the other hand, you're in this right as we're about to know for sure that we're the most divided we've ever been. Absolutely. I think that with everything that's going on in our country, it's it's not that it hasn't. I mean, obviously things have gotten better, but I think when you, what has happened politically has given people, I guess, the power to, or feel empowered to kind of be more outright with some of their beliefs when before they were more covert. And with the Lee situation on my season, you saw that people still do have these stereotypes and maybe it's not blatant racism, but these underlying feelings about certain races. And that did come out. And for maybe if I'm looking at it in a positive way, it was nice to see that because, you know, there are a lot of people that say, I don't see color and racism doesn't exist. But then you saw this person tweet these things and these things come out. And to be honest, you saw it on um, the most recent Bachelorette season with the guy that she ended up choosing, liking certain things on Instagram that all have the same common denominator. They explain that away as, oh, well, you know, a, a like doesn't necessarily mean he believes that and I know who he really is, etc. I... I haven't spoken about it, like to anybody, about what my opinion was about that, because I do like Becca, this last bachelorette, and I didn't want to do anything that respected her, disrespected her relationship because I knew who she chose. And I know at the time that she chose him, she didn't know about that. But if that were me, and luckily it's not, so I don't have to deal with this, but if that were me, and I found out that Brian had not liked one post, but eight different posts that all were different pictures, but as I said, have the same common denominator. To me, that defines you. And I can't see it. I can't unsee that. That's not a mistake. That's not you being stupid. That's not you being paying attention or oblivious to what it is that you're liking. It was conscious. You knew exactly what you were doing. And I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to get past that. It would seem to be a disqualifier. It would 100% be a disqualifier. And the fact that it was taken so lightly with the show, I understand it because that's who she ended up choosing. But the fact that it was just brushed under the rug, he did address it, but he addressed it in the sense of he's apologizing if he hurts someone, never said that that's not what he believes just apologized for hurting or embarrassing her. And no one talks about that. How easy or difficult was it for you to tune out the racism on social media directed at you? I still get it. I still not to the level that I did when I was on the show or immediately after. But I knew going in that I had to prepare my mind to face that. Because every day I live my life as a black woman, I, most of the time when I, when I go to work, when I'm in a room, I'm, a lot of times I am the only black person. So I am fully aware of that, and I am fully aware that racism still exists. So I knew what would be coming at me the moment that I decided to 
step on this platform and become the first black bachelorette. I knew people wouldn't like it. I knew it would affect ratings. I knew I was entering a world or a market where that's not necessarily who they wanted to see in that role as, as the bachelorette. I knew that there would be people that had problems with other races that aren't black pursuing me, pursuing because when you're, when you're the, the bachelor, the bachelorette, you are, you're the lead and you are sought after. People are, you know, going after you and trying to pursue you. And this truly is the first time that you had seen a black woman sought after in that way. And mostly there weren't black men doing it. So I knew that people would have a problem with it. So I had already prepared my mind for it. It doesn't mean that it wasn't hard or difficult at times. It didn't mean that it didn't get to me because it did at times. But at the end of the day, I knew what I was getting myself into. And I knew that that wasn't the majority's opinion. So I had to rise above that. On the one hand, it's a bit much to say you're the Jackie Robinson of reality TV. On the other hand... You were in a lot of homes in front of a lot of people who this makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I said this before, but I, I didn't say yes to being the bachelorette first because I knew everything that would come with it. But then I did think about people who were, were you know, like the first to do it, who pushed down those doors. And I felt like, yeah, okay, it's only reality TV. But it is still a medium where it hadn't been done before. And I thought that I could do it well. And I knew everything that was going to come with it. And I, and I thought, that it's time. Somebody has to do it. Somebody needs to do it. And it is the most rewarding thing when I do have a black mother who comes to me and says, my daughter loved watching you. My daughter, you know, I, I gave up hope watching this show because I didn't see someone who looked like you know, I have women that tell me that, and that makes it worth it, even if it's one person who says it. And so, yeah, it's funny you use the comparison of the Jackie Robinson of reality TV, but, you know, maybe it's not this as serious as baseball, but in, in ways it, it, it is like that. I was the first to do it, and I don't think I realized the magnitude of it until I was announced as the first Black Bachelorette, and then it started to hit me. There was some question as to whether they'd do it again. I, I can't imagine them. I, I mean, do I want them to do it again? Yes. Do they need to? Absolutely. I just don't know if I see it. I, I, I think there would be a, a black bachelor first, or maybe, and not even black, you know, like maybe Asian, maybe um, Latin. Not quite sure what it will be. I think it'll be a male first. But I just, I don't know. I don't see the show being on for another 17 years. So maybe that's why I feel that way, too. How did the lawyering prepare you for The Bachelor and Bachelorette? <laughs> the lawyer, my legal skills came into play every single day I was The Bachelorette. And it really helped me. Because as a litigator, you know, I depose people. I, I, you know, I have to question witnesses. And so I have to kind of sift through truth and, and the lie. And that was invaluable on The Bachelorette. 
Like, I, I definitely believe in a woman's intuition and following your gut. But I was able to, for lack of better words, interrogate people and kind of get to how you feel about me, why you're here, and who you are very quickly. And I, I think I did a good job of that because I picked, you know, the person who who was the same on camera that they are off camera. You know, I, I, I guess I fell in love with him, and that's who I wanted. But I feel like I was able to determine who he really was on the show. And then he was even better off camera. The first time we rescheduled this, it was for ESPN. So what are you doing for them? Yeah, so I'm doing radio for ESPN. I do a show called Football Frenzy. It's on Sunday. It's 5 p.m. Eastern, and I do it with Bobby Carpenter, who played for the Cowboys, and I do it with Phil Yates. And really, it's just a, sh- a radio show where we are – it's what it is, football frenzy. It's a frenzy of talking of everything that's happening that day or that week when it comes to football, recapping – the early games, talking about the afternoon games that are on and just some of the stories that developed on the field and off. And it's great. It's a lot of fun. It's a dream job for me to be affiliated with ESPN because a lot of people don't know this, but I went to ESPN a year ago and they told me no. They said, we love you, but you don't, our audience doesn't connect you to sports. And we have to find a way for our audience to familiarize themselves with you and sports. So I spent a year investing in myself, saying yes to things, not getting paid, working on hosting, reporting, and connecting myself to the sports world the best I could to come back to ESPN and say, hey, guys, you know, have you changed your mind? Sports is also not without its own issues right now, particularly football. It's an interesting time in sports. Like, if you look back at the history of sports, this has been done before. And then there's been a while where we haven't done anything. But as you and I talked about earlier, there, this is a different time. And I think people feel the need to speak out about it and to use their platform to do it because this is real life to them. And it may make people uncomfortable and People may feel it's not the right medium to do it in, but it's their life. And they have the right to do that and the right to speak out and to bring awareness to social injustice or issues that they feel strongly about. And I get that it makes people uncomfortable. And I get that people are like, why are you doing it? Because they haven't seen it in such a long time. But when you look back at the Tommy Smith, who did it at the Olympics, or you look at Muhammad Ali, who constantly did it while he was in uh, boxing, you can see that there's been a pattern of it. It's just that we're living in different different times right now. And so that's why I see it's, it's being brought to the forefront back into, into sports again. And protest is supposed to make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think, and that's, and I, I love that you said that because we are living in a generation now where people don't want to feel uncomfortable. It's, it's just, it's just so different the way that this new generation thinks. And so I like that it's making people feel uncomfortable. I'm, I agree with what Kaepernick is doing and the other football players behind him that, that have been doing the same thing. And I'm for it, to be honest with you. Because it would, I'm for it when you look at the reason that he's doing it. What I don't like is that there has been so much attention surrounding it, and then you have, you know, it's the, the White House has gotten involved with it, that it's become a distraction, and we're talking about 
things that aren't related to the reason that Kaepernick started taking a knee. And that's the only problem I have with it. There was a situation with your finale versus the most recent finale. And at some point you said it made you look like, quote, the angry black woman. Speaking of angry black women, we've got the Serena situation happening, too. Mm hmm. (laughs) Yeah. What were you thinking when you saw that? It's funny. I I was on a plane when the match was happening. So as I landed, I got all these updates about the Serena thing, so I had to go back and watch and research it. My initial reaction when I saw it was, whoa, why is she doing this? That was my initial reaction. It's the unpopular opinion, and I'm not sure if you heard what Stephen A. Smith said, but I agree with him. I understand Serena as a black woman. I don't understand her and what she's gone through in tennis because I haven't gone through that. And I know that she made a huge splash when when she and Venus came into this sport and dominated. They have had to overcome a lot of struggles because of the way they look in the sport of tennis. I, I, I do understand Serena's struggle in that sense and everything that she's overcome. And I feel like what we saw on that court was the tipping point it was everything coming out at once even her frustrations with you know struggling coming back after giving birth and you know she hasn't played to the same level and she was back on stage back at the in the championship in the final game and then she was dealing with this referee what i what shocked me was how she handled it and that's what i agreed with stephen a smith and it's unpopular because i'm not looking at it in the sense of her entire career, I'm looking at how she was in that match right then and there. And I watched it, and I thought that she had a meltdown. I thought that you could see her spiraling out of control, the way that she was playing the match, the way that she was getting so frustrated with this referee. And then the moment that she brought gender into it, I thought, whoa, you know, I felt like you're losing this argument. That wasn't the time and place to bring that to the court. And I think that when you look at the history of this umpire and you look at how he, you know, judges the game, he has done the same thing, called the same thing against men as well. So I didn't think it was an issue of inequality. I do feel there's an issue of that in the sport of tennis, but it wasn't happening right then and there on the court. And so I felt she was in the wrong when I saw that. On the other hand, how much in your head – During the time you were making The Bachelorette, were you thinking, if I have a bad day, if somebody puts me in a position where I have to fight back, it's worse for me than it is for anybody else because they're going to peg me as the angry black woman? Um, I thought thought that every day. And to be honest, I think about that every day, even outside of the show. There is a stereotype that is placed on black women where we do say the same things that another race will say and we're angry we're bitter we're a bitch and that's that's something that i always have to consider in every single thing that i do and specifically when i was on the stage and i what i was writing about in that article i said you know people don't realize i was watching the finale for the very first time when normally I get to watch it before it airs. 
And I think that they did that because they know I, they would get a reaction out of me, and they wanted that reaction. So I'm watching things being said to me that were said three months ago, but I forgot about them, to be honest. And so it does bring back some of that emotion. And specifically, I was very annoyed with the fact that Peter told me I was going to live a mediocre life. And I remember that breakup, and it was hard, and the emotion was real. But what people saw was 10 minutes of a breakup, when in reality, it was four hours. And it was in the middle of the night. And so... And all of that, remembering that came back to me when I was on that stage. And so when I'm talking to Peter about it on the stage, you know, I am trying to respect the relationship that I'm currently in because I'm engaged, but I'm also trying having to go back and talk about what happened three months ago. And I couldn't, people wanted me to have that same emotion, and I couldn't because I've moved on and I'm past that, and I can't disrespect the person that I'm with. So I was hard. You know, I wasn't as vulnerable on that stage. And people took that as me being rude because he was, came on stage and told people he was crying, yet there were no tears that were dropped. I didn't see any. And even when they put a camera on him backstage, you didn't see any. So, you know, it, that's how he came out. And then I, and then it was a, it was a stark contrast to the way that I was. And then he said, that I was living a mediocre life. And I said, just so you know, I'm living my best life. And people were like, oh my gosh, she was so rude. Because when we came back from commercial, the first thing Chris Harrison said to me was, Rachel, you seem angry. And inside, I was livid. And I know someone told him to say that. But right then and there, in that moment, I knew that America would label me as angry. I didn't yell. I didn't raise my voice. I didn't make a face. I didn't say any angry words. But he told America that I seemed angry, and America labeled me as angry. And then you coupled that with, Peter said, well, I feel like you attacked me. I, it was over for me right then and there. And that was what I was writing about in that article. Because when I questioned Peter about why did you say I attacked you, he literally said, I don't know. But it didn't matter. The damage was already done at that point. I had been labeled, and that is how people people were never going to get past that. They wouldn't remember anything else that happened. They were going to remember that moment, and they did. And I was reamed in the media and on social media for that moment. There's a part of me that looks at you and says, she doesn't need this. Why, <laughs> why do any of this? I mean, you, you've got a, a real job a real life, what part of you still wants to be out there like this? So I, I think that's a great question. I, um, I just, I felt I had hit a wall in my life. And my two coworkers coming into my office was perfect timing and such a blessing for me because I would have the job that I wanted I had great friends, great family, but I just felt that something was missing, and I did want more. And I also had just come off this five-year relationship with someone that I thought that I was going to marry that didn't work out, and I knew that that was missing from my life, too. Like, I really wanted that piece as well. I wanted to find someone. I wanted to start a family. And so when they came into my office, of course, I laughed, and I made the comment, everyone knows the black girl doesn't go far. But then I thought, well, why not? 
I just felt something within that was pulling me to say, just, just go for it, even though I never thought that it would turn into what it has. So I did it. We know the rest of the story. And here I am now. Um, and so for me, it was really an awakening to do it. It was realizing that even though I had the, some of the things I wanted and had accomplished my goals, I did. I wasn't 100% happy. I wasn't where I wanted to be. Something was missing, not even just in the love department, but there was more that I wanted to do professionally as well. And I'm so glad those host coworkers came into my office. I'm so glad that I bought everything that was telling me, don't do it. This is silly. This is crazy. And I just leaped outside of that box and just said, why not? And I had never lived my life like that before. I did everything that I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to do it. And for the first time, I made a selfish decision for me and just said, why not? And it paid off. And now it's about shaping the second act. Yep. It's about reintroducing myself to the world and them getting to know me as Rachel. And I'm hoping the progression goes from, hey, that's the Bachelorette, to, hey, that's Rachel the Bachelorette, to, that's Rachel on TV, to just, that's just Rachel. You know, I want to, I would love for people to say, oh, that's Rachel Lindsay. Oh, I've seen her on ESPN or Access Hollywood or Steve Harvey or, you know, she's an attorney and a broadcaster or she has her own show or whatever. Um, But, you know, and, and for people to forget, not forget, but say, wasn't she on that show, The Bachelorette, before? That's that's the progression I would like. Well, the danger is they're going to forget because reality fame is fleeting. We know that too. (laughs) But I think I will always um, until there's another, I'll always be the black bachelorette. And that I have there's something that separates me from all the other 13 other bachelorettes that they've had. There hasn't been another one that looks like me. And that's blessing and curse. Yep. Yep. Story of my life. (laughs) It's a gift and a curse. Thank you. You're welcome. Follow Rachel Lindsay on Twitter at TheRachLindsay. We're always available at TexasMonthly.com. And while you're there, you can get everything you need to know about our ninth annual Texas Monthly Barbecue Fest, which is now Barbecue Fest Weekend. It's in November in Austin. The top 50 barbecue joints in Texas, they've all been invited. And on the site, you'll see who's smoking and can view the new weekend schedule which includes our first ever Franklin and Friends kickoff event. And if you like what you heard here, consider subscribing to the National Podcast of Texas on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, or Spreaker, sharing it on social media, or maybe even leaving a recommendation on one of those services. I'm Andy Langer, working with producer Brian Standifer. Thanks for being here, and thanks in advance for coming back next week. You've been listening to the National Podcast of Texas, a production of Texas Monthly, the national magazine.